Okay, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. And yeah, I think it's just so cool. I think what came out in worship, um, yeah, I think it aligns a lot with what I felt also the Lord wanting to share with us this morning. So um, yeah, my name is Gunter. For those of you who don't know me, um, welcome to guys first time visiting us. It's great to have you here. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's interesting, like in, in preparing for, for this message, the past two weeks, I've been feeling this one specific thing the Lord wants to emphasize to us, love one another. It's important to love one another. So I've just been preparing in line with that. And then just recently, some scriptures came up, um, especially 1 John, which speaks about, um, as Jesus loved this church, love one another. As God loved us, now you also ought to love one another. If you can't love one another, how can you love God that you can't see? So Jen just realized, okay, wait, if we're just going to be a people and say, okay, you must do this, you must do that, you must do that, without giving the heart from the background, we're actually just teaching law. We're just teaching rules that you should obey, almost like just a, a system. I think that's not the idea or the heart of God. Um, God's heart is he wants to show his, his heart. And in response to that, we would want to give ourselves to loving one another. So I'm not going to be speaking about loving one another. I thought I would, but actually I think the Lord just prepared my heart. Um, yeah. So my sermon message, you know, it just changed all over the show, but this is eventually the title, um, The Love of God Through Clear Glasses. So I want to start with just welcoming you guys like this. I say. Summer is almost here. <laughs> yeah, so if I speak like this to you guys, you might think this is very funny, but for me, imagine this is just my normal everyday life. I just walk around with my tinted glasses, and this is just how I operate. I, I really can't see properly now. Like, yeah, it's, it's a weird tint, and even like the lenses are a bit weird. So when I walk, I sometimes hit my foot because it's a bit zoomed out. It's actually made for my eyes, like specifically tuned, but I actually prefer it without the, the tuning. <laughs> but anyway, I think many of us, we, we go through life like this, and this is, this is who I am. This is how I see, and that's normal. And because you actually haven't seen... Um, through lenses that are clear. You've maybe grown up. And this is just a story I want to share. About 10 years ago, um, yeah, I was really yeah, struggling with people, struggling with relationships, and um, just how to relate with people. And I had a, a talk with one of my, my leaders back then, and um, we had a coffee. And I actually haven't had much coffee with people like that. I, I thought it wasn't necessary. I was speaking to him, and as I was sharing my heart and my difficulty, I just said, but yo, it's so difficult, you know, not, not being able to receive love from people and just receiving it from God. And I just went on. He said, wait, 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 stop. Um, where did you learn that? Like, and I thought about it. Where did I learn that I can't receive love from people but only from God? And I actually told him, I actually don't know. Somehow that belief came into my life and I had no idea where it came from. So for about five years of my Christian walk, I've been living a life, I can't receive love from people, just give them a quick hug, but I must only receive love from God. He is the only one, the only source of life. If I get any love from anyone else, it's an idol, get away. It's not pleasing to God. And actually, I grew up for five years of my Christian walk with having this very deceived, tainted lenses on my eyes that I really couldn't go deeper with people because I always kept them at a distance because I'm just afraid I might enjoy the love too much. And then, oh, I've been sinning. And I think talking like this, it seems very holy, very spiritual, you know. No, I can't receive love from people, only God. 
think many of us will maybe also sometimes like that. No, only God. No, 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 I don't need you. But actually I realized, and in talking with my friend, he just said to me also, but listen, that's, that's not God's heart, you know. And he actually helped just correct and fine-tune me, realizing actually we can receive love from each other. It's actually part of God's plan to receive love from one another as his church, as his family. Um, he must be our source. We can't become dependent on people. But, wow, if you have people loving you, you just do ten times better than just trying to go through life without receiving any love. It's just really difficult. And, you know, sometimes it's not nice. And actually God made us that way that as a church, living in one another's lives, we can and we should actually love one another. It actually builds us up as the Bible teaches. So anyway, that was my, my tainted lenses. And then yes, I've got some other lenses here also. <laughs> Going to see my old-fashioned closet today, guys. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm very fashionable, but my, my wife tells me differently. <laughs> so in, in through all of this, um, I, I just started thinking, but, okay, but where did this thing actually come from? I think the way we grow up in our, in our house of origin, at our parents' house, um, that's very often the way that made us see like we see. Because my dad did something this a certain way. My mom did something a certain way. My brothers, my sisters, my grandfathers, the other family members, maybe the area where you grew up. All of that plays a big role in how we start seeing and viewing life. And just to illustrate, you know, some of us might have grown up in broken households. Some of us might have grown up in very stable households. Some maybe with a single parent, some with two parents, some maybe with no parents. Some went through deep and devastating trauma. It was difficult. And then again, some of us will maybe never know that type of pain. In the end, there is no perfect family, and even the best of us will fall short. And living exactly the way God has designed us, and His heart is for us as family, to represent it to our children, if you're a father or mother, if you're a child, to recognize-ish, but there has been something maybe not completely right. My glasses are a bit maybe tinted in a different way than God wanted it. I am not here to say or dishonor parents saying you've done a bad job, do better. Because really we can try our best, but the fact is we stay in a fallen world. You know, sinners come in, um, yeah, and it's just a very difficult situation. So even if we try our best, there are still cracks in all of us. And some of the cracks of your parents might filter through to you. You might develop your own cracks. You might have friends in high school or primary school that affect you badly, and that creates even more cracks and some, um, what you call it, insecurities. So it's just, you know, it's this whole bag of things that really actually make us who we are and causes these type of cracks. But yeah, so not to, not to dishonor them, but I think, just to know that this is actually all our stories. We need to recognize these little cracks, not because we want to point out and say, you've done wrong, but to say, oh, I now see why I relate to God the way I relate. Because actually it's the way I grew up. Let me just give you another. Oh, it's much better. This is my broken glasses. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually lost my other glasses and I kept the lenses and I picked up this frame somewhere. So I made my own one with some press stick at the bottom. 
So some of us can go through life like this, eh? <laughs> Things weren't all fit or in place, and you try to just strap it up in some way to keep it together. But actually, you need to realize, oh, but actually the way you've grown up is maybe a bit broken. And it's not to say, okay, you're bad. Now, because you grew up this way, you will end up there. We, where we are now, we can make decisions. Jesus can come into our lives, and he can drastically change where we'll be and who we'll become. But we need to start by a place of recognizing the way we've been brought up. Ah, now I can see you guys. How you really look. <laughs> and I think we need to come to a place where we realize the cracks so we can actually take it to God and God can come speaking and make us and see him who he is as he really is. Just a quick example of this. Um, so Matthew 7 verse 9 to 11 or which one of you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So just imagine a father that maybe your son asks for bread and you give him a stone. Or he asks for a fish and you give him a serpent or a snake. I think that's not, that's not even, even earthly fathers won't, won't do it like that. Or most, most won't. Um, they will actually try and give the child something that they need to live and survive. But what this scripture is actually saying, that even God, our Heavenly Father, if, if earthly fathers will do it to this level, to this standard, God, our Heavenly Father, will do it to so much more greater extent. Give us what we need if we ask of Him. And if you grew up with maybe a father in the house that had violent outbursts, how can you, whenever you ask Him for something, say, hey, can I maybe just get this? And he starts screaming at you. How will you as a person now start relating to God and say, God, I pray for this. Even as Jock prayed, he prayed, Lord, bless my business. How can you ask that prayer if you think your father in hell will come screaming down and punish you if you ask a question like that? That's just an example sometimes how some of these cracks can come in. And it looks different for all of us. I'm not trying, once again, not to dishonor, but we need to realize it. Because I couldn't relate to people properly. Um, with the mindset I had, because I thought I must stay a bit away. I mustn't let them love me too much, because that's not the way. And I, I recognized and I realized, oh, I can actually receive the love of people. And it made my life so much better. Man, such a joy now being able to receive love from you guys and give love um, and not feeling, oh, I'm sinning all the time. So let's just have a, a look what the Bible says about God our Father. Let's try and put our clear lenses on and see about what the scripture teaches us who God is so we can see him for who he really is. And I think sometimes just, I want to give a bit of clarity because I think sometimes we talk so quickly about all this Christian language that it doesn't make sense. We speak about God, then we speak about the Father, then the Son, then the Holy Spirit. And I think it can get quite confusing because the Bible doesn't really clearly tell us, okay, this is how this works. You sort of, over time, learn how it works. So I just want to give a quick disclaimer. So, so God is three in one, meaning He is God, He is the Son, who is Jesus Christ, and He is also the Holy Spirit. And it's almost like an egg, if you look at the picture of an egg. Now you've got the egg shell, you've got the, the egg white, and you've got the egg yolk. Um, so that is the egg. Only one of those components isn't the egg. But it is the egg. So you can't take one and say, okay, but only this is the egg. And sort of that's how God also works. He's got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's 
He's one. He's God. Also, within himself, he's three persons. So it might seem very confusing, um, but in essence, he's one God, and he also displays and manifests himself to us. So he shows himself to us in three different ways. Yeah, so we have God, the Heavenly Father. Um, he made us. He formed us. He loves us. He's caring to us. He's kind, but also he's righteous. He's just. Um, he holds justice in his hands. He's all-powerful. That is God our Father. Then we have Jesus, the Son of God, who became man like one of us. So it's not just a God sitting there far out. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth. God came to earth in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. And he actually related with us. He showed us the way to the Father. He did the will of the Father. He showed us how we should obey as obedient children, our Father. Yeah, and that's just amazing to see. He actually gave us an example. It's not as far off God, but it's a God who became real to us. The disciples, they touched him. They felt him. They felt his love. They sometimes even felt his rebuke. But he, he loved them dearly. And we can read about that in Scripture. Then we have the Holy Spirit. He's the one whom the Father sent when Jesus went back to the Father after he ascended into heaven, after his crucifixion. He's our comforter, our advocate, our helper, the one who reminds us what Jesus taught us. Um, and the disciples when he was on earth. He's the one who empowers us. You will sometimes hear we speak about the gifts of the Spirit. And it can sound very far-fetched and wild, but it's actually the Holy Spirit empowering and working through us to build up the church. And that's when we call it the gifts of the Spirit. And the beautiful part is that when we look to God, um, we can see all these different sides of him. And it's just crazy because he's so magnificent, so much wider than we can ever imagine. So, yeah, he reveals himself to us in different ways. So now I want to just focus a bit on, on God in the Old Testament, how he revealed his love to us. Because I think his love is such a key thing to grasp, to know he loves us. He loves us. He loves us. Having no doubt in that. Because if you maybe have a father that you didn't know the love was secure, you might always feel insecure in his love. Almost might need to feel need to act or perform a certain way so that you can receive the love of the Father. But God is not like that. Uh, we'll get to why he's not like that. But let's just take a look. Genesis 3 verse 21. This is quite an interesting verse. It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So just before this part, that's where Adam and Eve um, fell into sin. Um, God made them perfect. Um, it was beautiful. But then their sin caused them to fall away from God. And they tried to cover them up with leaves. So they said, okay, but now God, we're shy now. And God actually gave them a few curses that now you will live under this because you've sinned. You haven't obeyed me. And actually, yo, he rebuked them. He disciplined them as the children who were not disobedient. But after that, this is what happens. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So to be able to make clothes of skin, you need to sacrifice an animal. So that was the first time in the Bible where blood was shed, where sacrifice was made. And God actually made that sacrifice for his people he made. He loved them so much that he would sacrifice an animal, um, give them clothes, cover them up in, in their sin. Um, so it's like, and it's actually a foreshadowing of what is to come. Because this was actually a picture of Jesus as eventually the final sacrifice. But Jesus shows once again this crazy love of God. Um, how he loves us even though we messed up. He still is the one who clothes us. He said, no, I'm not going to, don't keep that leaves. Come on, I'll give you proper clothes. 
<laughs> Here's another crazy example. Um, this is actually quite intense. So let's go to Exodus 32, verse 1 to 15. So now we have Moses who led the Israelites. That's God's chosen people. He led them out of Egypt. They were captive and now they're walking in the desert. Now Moses is on the mountain. He's spending time with God. Um, he saw God, in a way, face to face. He was close with God. And now God and Moses is speaking about the, the Ten Commandments, because um, God wants to give um, his, his people some guidance, and, okay, live your life according to this. It would be a good way to live. And while this is busy, um, this is what the people said there at the, at the, at the floor of the, the foot of the mountain. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, that was Moses' brother who was the, the priest back then, and said to him, make us gods, or up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So these guys are now like, okay, but Moses has been gone too long. Um, I don't, we don't know where he is. Aaron, come on, make us, make us a god so we can actually worship a god. So it's just crazy. This these guys who just saw the power of God um, open up the seas. Um, he, in the night there was a um, cloud of fire or a pillar of fire covering them. In the day there was a cloud um, that was just giving them protection. But now they've seen all this stuff and they now make us a God. And they, the people give them all the gold they have. Aaron, um, he makes this calf of gold, puts them there and says, okay, there, there's your God. And people say, okay, yes. And now they want to make a feast, and they want to celebrate this God, this golden calf, who's just an idol, a statue. And now he says, we're going to worship this thing. So while all this is going up, we can maybe go to verse 7, um, Kevin. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. And have made for themselves a golden calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Aren't we sometimes a bit like that, though? But stiff-necked. We don't want to move when we need to turn. <laughs> um, verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them in order that I may make uh, a great nation of you. So he's speaking to Moses. I want to get rid of these people. They're stiff-necked people. They're not listening. Moses, I'm going to take you and make a great nation out of you. And this is just, once again, the beautiful response of Moses, verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? And then he goes, why should the Egyptians say... Um, You've brought them out, and now you've killed them in the desert. That doesn't make sense. And in verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned, and he went down. So actually, in this conversation of God, I won't go into the details how that, because the focus is here, how, how we as people mess up. We sometimes just get it wrong. We, we get impatient. So, okay, God, we've given you long enough time. Now I'm going to make my own plan to get to my own solution. I still want to worship you, but I want to do it my way now. And we get stiff-necked, you know. It's not, not a good quality. Anyway, Moses goes down. He has this conversation with Aaron. He says, but what have you done? What's been happening? And 
yeah, and he said, no, but the people said this, and it's just a bit of, bit of chaos. Even Moses got angry. Um, he was, yeah, he saw God face, he threw the tablets on the ground. It's quite hectic, you know, because he was so enraged because he, he felt what God was feeling. God was angry because of the sin of people. But, yeah, praise the Lord, he didn't wipe them out because um, that he wanted it. He could have done it. He would have completely been justified to do it, but his mercy kept it back. It didn't wipe out the, the Israelites. So then um, let's skip a few verses, go to Exodus 32, verse 30. It says, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So jo Moses once again goes up to God, and he actually says, okay, but God, you're this people, sorry. Like, I want, he wants to make atonement and yeah, stand in the gap for the people. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, but now, if you will forgive this sin, but if not, please blot me out of the book that you have written. Um, and just once again, he's hard. Like, but don't, for your name's sake, for your glory, God, don't do this. Even just take me out if you really want to take someone out. And he just caught something of the heart of God, um, which is really amazing. And then um, the Lord says, but go lead the people to the place about which I've spoken to you, the promised land. Um, behold, an angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made a calf, the one that Aaron made. So once again, there's consequences for our sin. He said, okay, I'll see them over this time, but yeah, there will be this plague. Because you have sinned, there's consequences. Not just, okay, now I'm free. Um, you will wash our sins clean eventually, but sometimes we need to carry the consequences. Um, yeah, in the moment, in the flesh. So it's not just this God you can play around with. It's all loving God. and woo, You can just go for it. So I think very quickly we can think by ourselves, wow, this is so bad. Can you believe what these Israelites did? Yo, that's hectic. And but we forget so often we did the, the, the same thing. Not with a physical cult, but with, a, with our hearts, issues of our hearts. We have things that we make idols of like money, pleasure, comfort entertainment, sex, people, popularity, power, even our families, our work, or sport. So before we are too quickly to point at how bad others are, let us just realize, ish, but maybe I'm also making a cough in my heart of something. In Genesis, um, God gave them sin, sin, ugh, skins to cover their sins. And he prohibited man to go back to the Garden of Eden, just showing that when there is sin, there's a consequence of sin. And that, that consequence is a spiritual divide between fellowship and friendship with God. And our sin causes that divide. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And that's a spiritual death. where We can't relate to God anymore. So throughout the Old Testament, um, sacrifices had to continually be made for their sins. Because God commanded them to be made right with God, they had to sacrifice. But it was a continual thing. It's not a one-off thing. And eventually, um, when the Old Testament came to sort of an end, there was 400 years of silence where God really didn't speak to the people through his prophets or his, his spokespeople. And that's when Jesus came into the picture, the start of the New Testament. That was about 2,000 years ago. And Jesus, who I said is the Son of God, who is God who came in the form of flesh in, as a man, 
He was here on the earth, and the first four books of the New Testament speaks about how he, how he loved his disciples, his teachings, and what he did. And eventually, he came, and he said, he knows our struggles. He knows how difficult we are sometimes in our situations, and our sin, and the struggle. Or he didn't sin himself. He was without sin. But he knows the struggle. He can relate with us. So eventually, Jesus came to show us the way back to the Father. That the vision that sin caused, Jesus actually came into that space and said, but now I'm going to solve this problem that you guys have. And he came actually to bring a stop to that sacrificial system once and for all. So you don't need to go and, and offer a lamb or a calf anymore to, the, to God. But Jesus, he became that sacrifice. You might maybe ask, but, okay, but what was that sacrifice? And Jesus' own life was the payment um, for our sin. So there's a punishment for sin, and we, if we didn't have Jesus, we need, we'll need to go to hell. That's unfortunately the reality, because our sin requires a payment, and that is eternal damnation actually in hell, which is a scary thought. But Jesus came, and he said, but I've got a way. I, I'll help you out of this. Once again, going back to the picture of Genesis, how God made a sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve. He has now sent Jesus to cover the sins of the world. Let's go just quickly to Romans 3, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So, sorry, I was reading the NIV. I'm a bit of a, a mix here, sorry. <laughs> but basically what it says, God sent Jesus to become righteousness and we need to receive this gift by faith. And all the sins that the Israelites committed and he kept back. He didn't crush them immediately. He actually gave them a window of opportunity where they can actually come to Jesus, receive him in faith, and get eternal life. So I think this is sometimes all, day, all in the sky. It's all, sometimes like pie in the sky. How does this work? I just have a short story that maybe will help ground it a bit better. So imagine you and a friend go to a grocery store. You are now there, you check out all the things, and there's one rule that says, if you break it, you pay it. If you can't pay it, you go to jail. Short and sweet, eh? Imagine you're like a five-year-old guy, or a 10-year-old, you know? You see that, that's quite intense. Now you accidentally knock over a glass jar. Falls, it breaks. The manager comes to you and says, listen, you've broken this, you need to pay. But you didn't come with any money. You don't have money on you. And you're actually a bit stuck. Now you need to go to jail. But now your friend comes up to the, the, the space and he says, listen, I've got cash for you. You can have this and you can pay for your debt. And he gives him the cash. You take the cash, you go pay for it. Even get the receipt showing you have paid your debt. You're now, you're now clean. So that's just a very simple story to explain sort of this concept. If you can look at this, that sin is almost like the glass jar we broke. If you knocked it over, you've committed sin. And we've inherited this from, our, from generations. If the, the wrong things we do, the sins we do, that's how we get that label. We're a sinner. 
So we're all there. We need Jesus. We need that payment. The payment we need to do is actually with our life. But we can't even make that payment ourselves. The only way we can do it is actually if we go to jail, which is then hell in this case. But now your friend, who is Jesus, he's there. He's got the cash. He's got the payment for your sin. That was actually his entire life. He shed on the cross his blood. And he says, yeah, I've got this for you. But you as an individual, you actually need to make the action, take what he has given, and give it to the counter and say, here's my payment. And actually the receipt is our, that's actually the Holy Spirit coming on us, who is the seal of our salvation. Whenever the enemy comes and says, hey, you have sinned, you've broken a thing, you take out that receipt, you say, I know I was a sinner, but Jesus has covered me. And the Holy Spirit, he reminds us that we are clean. The enemy will come and point fingers at your old sins of the past. But the crux of this story is we need to take what Jesus has given and make it our own. And that is basically putting our faith in him, our trust in him, that he has died for our sins. God has raised him from the dead, and now he's our Lord and Savior. He has bought each one of us with a very, very expensive price, his life. So in essence, we are not our own anymore. If you think, no, I'm my own, but actually you forget, he has bought you. It's his price, his blood, his life that has bought this, bought you. And therefore, we should live lives that's pleasing to him. And I think just the a last verse, um, which takes it all together, John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, we've seen his love, that he gave his only son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him, that's taking the money, the payment Jesus gave, shall not perish but have eternal life. And that eternal life is not just a golden ticket to heaven. I'm there. It actually starts here. That relationship that was destroyed because of sin, Jesus is now restored. We can now have that friendship, that love, that companionship of the Father that we didn't have. We can have it again here on earth already. It's not just about getting in heaven. It's about living a life pleasing to God, enjoying Him, listening to His words, speaking to Him, knowing He's got you. So I think that's, that's it from my side. Just a summary, because I've said a lot in this time. So growing up, we all have broken lenses through which we view God. I think we should realize and recognize this and say, but maybe I'm seeing something not right here. Allow His Holy Spirit to come in and clean that lenses up for us. All have, the second point, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God through our inheritance, through sinful actions. So that's, we're all there. God loves us with everlasting love since the beginning. That's the third point. Um, and he chose us, which is an amazing, amazing um, yeah, privilege. Fourthly, our response to his love is that we should include receiving the gift of Jesus as sacrifice by faith. That's how we respond appropriately to this amazing love he's given us. But saying, but Lord, I want that. I want it in faith in Jesus' name. I trust that you have done it. And fifthly, when we have received eternal life, we start walking with God, experiencing His love and relationships with Him daily. That's where it actually starts. Not when we get to heaven. It starts here today when, we ha when you have Him in, in your life.